Magic Book Club with Benson's for Beds. Hello and welcome back to the Magic Book Club podcast. My name's Tom Price and this is the show where I find out exactly what makes our favourite authors put pen to paper or put fingers to keyboard or however they scribe their wonderful novels. We get stuck in, talk to these brilliant guests and find out more about them. On this episode, I'm going to catch up with the writer of one of the biggest books of this month. It's called The Cancer Ladies Running Club. The writer is Josie Lloyd. She's absolutely fantastic. Uh, And a little bit later, I'm going to be catching up with the glorious Fern Britton to chat about her new novel, Daughters of Cornwall. And we'll find out just what family secrets inspired the novel. So sit back, pour yourself a cup of tea, put the lead on the dog, get that walk in the sun underway, and let's find out what makes these authors tick. So it's my pleasure now to welcome the best-selling author and writer of the brand new novel, The Cancer Ladies Running Club, onto the show, Josie Lloyd. Hello, welcome to the book club. Hello, thank you ever so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, Josie, it's such a pleasure. And what's more, this book is absolutely fantastic. Do you know, I, I finished this about two weeks ago, I finished it, and normally I have to write down some notes and some ideas and stuff like that to remember it. I, I don't need to. It's just still here in my brain. I love these characters. I love this book. I, I just thought it was so wonderful. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. That's very nice to hear. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased. It's it's. It's so lovely to write. I mean, I've written a lot of books over the course of like 20 two years that I've been writing and um but this one is really close to my heart obviously and uh and it's just been so lovely to get a nice reaction from people and and for people to really enjoy it because I wanted it to be something joyful and uplifting and something that people would feel that it was kind of they were with some friends when they read it and I've I really love that when I hear people feel that it stayed with them yes they're really nice characters they're such such good characters and this it's full of of, of great people and you know it's uh, yeah I can't lie when I was told right this is what we're doing next and I see that title and, and mm. there's a part of me <laughs> the title know, I see, yeah yeah I see the, I see the c word and I'm like oh okay okay, uh, okay deep breath this, exactly this is going to be a tough read there's going to be tough moments but you write with such humor and you take on this enormous subject and through brilliant writing and through brilliant characters you take us through and I feel like it's it's widened my life experience enormously reading this book because I've been lucky oh, enough to not good. be affected by this yet and to read this you know it feels overwhelmingly positive. Well that's great to hear and I really wanted it to be positive but I mean one of the things that happened I mean it came about because I was diagnosed with breast cancer after a routine scan I was called up for a pre-50 scan so do you fancy coming along for a mammogram? And I thought, oh, okay, I will. Anyway, they picked it up. Thank God. I mean, I was so lucky to um, have been picked up. Anyway, but the thing that really struck me, the second I got cancer, I mean, I was really in shock because it kind of happened on my watch. I was like, God, how did, <laughs> how did I not notice cancer? That's a bit of a biggie. Anyway, um, but the thing that I hated the most was this feeling of being immediately labelled. And this, I mean, I I really take the piss out of it in the book, but because there's one of the mums at school and and she can't even say the word cancer. She sort of says it through her nose. She goes, (laughs) (laughs) it's the the breathing in thing. Just just breathe breathe that word in. (laughs) I know. So so it was kind of like, and I hated this feeling of being suddenly labelled. I was no longer a novelist and a mum and somebody with a busy social life. I was suddenly, oh, she's got cancer. 
have you heard she's got cancer? And everybody was so ter- terrified of the word cancer, me included. And I just felt after the whole thing was over, I just thought I need to do some debunking about this. I need to stop making it so scary for everyone because one in two of us are going to have cancer in our lifetimes and one in eight women get of get breast cancer in this country so it's a subject that completely affects us all but and yet we're terrified of the word cancer i mean literally can't say it so it was when i first went out with the book um there were quite a few of the publishers there was a book auction and some of them said well about the title i'm not sure can we have cancer in the title i said that is the whole point that we get some conversations going and we you know you don't usually get cancer and running (laughs) title but you know that was the whole point to make it you know more accessible and to get conversations starting and to to really explore how the whole process happens and what happens to a person when they get diagnosed with cancer and how to get through it you know because as soon as I was diagnosed I turned immediately to literature because I'm a huge fiction fan and I love reading and I wanted to find a book that wasn't all doom and gloom, that was kind of uplifting, that was about, you know, how to get... And I just couldn't find anything that wasn't either incredibly mortgage or very, very depressing. I was like, no, I don't want want to die. (laughs) I just read, can I read something happy, please? So I thought this is is sort of part of my motivation for writing it, to have something out there in the fiction space that is truthful, but is kind of positive. And you can tell that about Kira's journey. You can tell that this is based on truth. And, you know, there's so many uh, so many details. Did it, did it feel good for you emotionally to almost purge yourself of them and put your experiences onto the page like this and give them to Kira and, and sort of watch her go through this as well and look after her? Yeah. I mean, to be very honest, it's a very strange process because I when I when I got diagnosed, I started journaling. And I always kind of, I always turned to writing as a way of kind of self therapy anyway. So I was writing down, of course, when something really out of the blue happens to you, you meet loads of new people, loads of new language and stuff comes your way. And you kind of, it's quite interesting. Anyway, so I was writing all this down. And some of it was quite funny. And I was, (laughs) and then I'm, but I'm a vain author. You know, what can I tell you? I'm a vain author. And at the end of it, I had 80,000 words of quite good copy. And I was like, oh, am I putting this in a drawer? Or or what shall I do? Anyway, but anyway, so I wrote it and I gave it to my agent. She said, well, it reads too much like a memoir. Do you want to write a memoir? And I went, no, I really want to write something that's fictional. She said, well, it doesn't, it just feels like you, you know, and it doesn't feel fictional. You're going to have to do more anyway so then I kind of rewrote it and I had kind of Kira and the girls in it and but I hadn't really linked up the girls with all of her um problems that she goes through at work and then and and cancer was sort of the baddie of the piece and that didn't really work either because it didn't really have enough spies so then I threw it all out and I started again so actually it was the most ridiculous process of writing a novel and very long-winded I can tell you but I rewrote it and it was and it was great because I was quite a bit further on from my treatment at that point and then I could really take the bits out of the real things that happened to me that I wanted to use in the book but also just then really make it fictional and really make it Kira's story and she's not me and you know Tom her husband is not my husband Emlyn um, and her kids are my kids you know it's there is a lot obviously of my experience in there but it's definitely fictional yeah okay okay um, we should mention Emlyn of course Emlyn Reese. now you you co-author books 
with your we husband. We certainly do, yeah. I mean, I'm finding it hard enough to co-parent with my wife. How on earth do you <laughs> well, yeah. even begin to do that? Well, um, it happened a very, very long time ago, actually, because we uh, we had both written a, a novel each. This is back in the last century, Tom. You know, oh, when things were in black and white, as my children told me. But anyway, <laughs> so this is about 1998. Mm-hmm. And, Great year. Uh, Great first, year. Well, 97, my first book had come out. Anyway, so we, Emily and I got to know each other. We were both writing our second novels. He was he was my agent's assistant, which is how I'd met him. And he was writing thrillers and doing a day job. I was working as a waitress and trying to write my second book and we became really good mates and we were laughing about our 20 something lifestyle because he was hanging out with all the girls and I was hanging out with the boys and we, we were laughing about our different perspectives and one night in the pub he said you know we really should write this down and we mm. kind of do you fancy writing a book with me and um I had no idea how it was going to work because, you know, I'd never even considered writing a book with somebody and I didn't really know him terribly well. Anyway, he rang me up from work the next day and he said, do you remember what we were talking about last night? And I thought, oh, no, what did I say? (laughs) I was like, oh, what bit? And he went, do you know what, do you want to write a book with me? And I was like, oh, all right then. And and you know when you kind of say yes occasionally in your life and you look back and you go, oh, that was a really massive moment and I didn't realise it, but... That yes was a huge yes because it completely changed my life. So he went away and wrote the first chapter of a book that later became Come Together. And it, he used all of his experience and his, his all his mates' experience to write this character, Jack. And yeah. he wrote this first chapter and then gave it to me at the point where Jack turns around and meets a girl. And then I had complete carte blanche to do whatever I wanted. So I rolled up my sleeves and wrote Amy, who was like my female version of Jack. And we had this hilarious dynamic that we realised straight away in two chapters that we had kind of a really funny comedy situation Brilliant. going on. And are you passing and it backwards and forwards? Is it, is it yeah, like a parlour game so, where you fold the piece yes, of paper? Yes, it was, yeah, it was proper game of consequences. So, I mean, this is so long ago. This is before email, right? So oh he my used to go, God, imagine, yeah, imagine. Imagine. So we would Jeez. actually print out the chapters and give them to each other. I remember reading um, his first chapter in a, in a cafe in Soho and just thinking it was absolutely hilarious. And the guy saying to me, what are you laughing at? I was like, my mate has written this book. It's hilarious. Anyway, so we landed up getting a book deal on two chapters and writing come together. And as a result of that, we got together ourselves. But our working relationship was very much formed before we got together as a couple. So we wrote seven... So you were a professional partnership before you were a romantic partnership. Oh, Oh, yes. And and it also red light to a ball because (laughs) because my friends were like, so this is really exciting. You've got, you know, you're fulfilling your dream. You're getting um, a book contract that you're finally getting paid decently to write and you're with this guy. Do not blow it with Emlyn. Just don't blow it with Emlyn. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't nice blow it with Emlyn. He is, your, he is your working partner. Nothing more. I was like, yeah, 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 okay. Anyway, we were writing this warts and all book about 20-somethings who jump into bed together and then deal with the fallout and kind of, it's a rom-com. But we were having the most Victorian of relationships you could possibly imagine. It was like a proper grown-up novel. So we were kind of falling for each other, but it was all terrible. No, couldn't tell anyone, couldn't tell the publishers. And, you know, we wouldn't even tell each other. Anyway, it wasn't until really near the end of the book that we kind of got it together. 
And um, oh, were you like were you going yeah, for dinners so that, and stuff like that? Or was there some sort of yeah, was there like a, a cottage yeah. on a moor for a writer's retreat? No, we would sort of like we were larking around, spending our advance. <laughs> <laughs> to go to nice restaurants back in the day Tom back in the day we had money sloshing around then anyway so we were so yeah so we were going to restaurants and I remember being being in a restaurant once with Evelyn and I said so um, are we going to talk about this and he said to talk about what and I went this you know this between you and me and he went absolutely not and got up and left the table I was like Oh, God, that went really badly wrong. That's, like, really terrible. Anyway, he came back in about five minutes later, about, like, ten minutes later, and goes, I've been thinking, he said, there's ten really good reasons why we can't get together. Anyway, I stood up and kissed him, and that was that. Amazing. Intact, as we say. Amazing. <laughs> done, and anyway, done, so, you done. know, done and done and done. Anyway, so, yeah, so we completely fell for each other. and But, you know, we fell for each other in an old-fashioned way because we were writing to each other. We were writing to make each other laugh. So our working relationship was very much established long before we got together and then we wrote seven more novels together and got we got married have three kids and and we've been writing parodies um of our favorite children's books because we've read children's books over and over and over again obviously so we did we're going on a bar hunt Good. and the very <laughs> the very hungover caterpillar and the teenager who came to tea which have all been really <laughs> fun and you're based on our kids so uh, so that's been really fun they they're quite good uh, books that we find in people's loos, you know. Yeah, always. <laughs> it's like contribution. Always. Nothing wrong with writing a toilet book because everybody's yeah, got a wrong. toilet. Everyone, yeah, you know, exactly. I find them in a, a lot of loos. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we really, you know, and there's always plans afoot to write more together because we love writing together. And uh, I love writing comedy with Emlyn because it's really, it's really good fun. So good, so good. What, what um, I like about Kira as well is that you get the sense from her, and I'm not obviously, you know, you are, you've already said you're not the same person, but Kira has got this sort of 90s hinterland, and I can empathise with that to an extent. And uh, there is this sense that uh, when cancer comes into Kira's life, it is this, this just this, uh, obviously it's enormous, an enormous shock, but it makes you kind of long for that time when everything was so carefree and you suddenly look at it in a completely different way and you start to sort of evaluate your life. It, it changes everything. It changes the way mm. your brain is wired, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. It's a massive shock. But I, I mean, retrospectively, of course, I can see that having a midlife shakeup is no bad thing. And she kind of learns that as well. But it kind of just completely brings for her everything to a screeching halt. And it affects yeah. everything. It affects her children, her marriage, her career. And actually, I really wanted to show how how a cancer diagnosis can affect everybody because her life doesn't stop. She's still got to feed, the, you know, still got to walk the dog. She's still got to do the washing. There's still stuff at school. There's still work going on. And she doesn't want to take a step back from her life. But at the same time, she's got cancer to deal with. So it's quite, it's quite a conflict. And it was quite interesting to explore that, you know, mm. because it's very I difficult. Really, I find it really interesting that she is, at no point do I feel like she's a victim of cancer, but I do feel like she is a victim of what other people are doing to her life, which has got nothing to do with mm. cancer. For example, the situation at work and to an extent how her husband treats her and stuff like that. And I don't know, I felt like there was something really resonant in that, in that the disease isn't what's making her a victim. It's, it's various things that are coming together in her life at this moment. Yeah, that's that's entirely right. And actually, it's that it's that whole thing of other people's reaction to it. And that's that's the hardest thing that's difficult. And it was quite fun to write some of these. Some of these things happened to me. But <laughs> the thing is, when you get a cancer diagnosis, everybody wants to talk to you about cancer. You don't want to talk about cancer because you don't you're shocked and you don't want this thing attached to you. But now everybody 
tells you their cancer stories. It's just a new, it's a natural human reaction. <laughs> and you get it from everybody at the school gates to the people in cabs, people on bus, you go, you go, go through breast cancer. Oh, yeah. Well, my uncle, he had terrible cancer. <laughs> and it, uh, people just tell you the most awful, awful cancer stories. So also, she's kind got of. No apologies about telling you when people have died as well. I thought it was so funny. Is no, it, I know. There's a cab driver in the book who tells her about someone's yeah, got breast yeah, cancer yeah. and Kira's like, oh, is she okay? No, no, she died. She died. It's so dark. No, funny. she died. She died. But it's so, but, but people do that all the time. So yeah, it's that whole thing of other people's, it's managing other people's reactions that are, that is quite difficult. And you know, it's, and, and her fear around telling people as well and, and people seeing her differently, particularly her kids, you know, that's, that is quite, that was quite fun to play with. And quite a lot of that, because what I put a story in the book, which is actually true, because of course, Kira has to tell her kids, which is the most awful thing you have to do as a, you know, as a mom is tell your children that you're ill it's a really horrible thing anyway so i <laughs> i did draw on my own experience with this because Evelyn and i had gone to a uh, we told Tallulah, who was our eldest who was 16 at the time we told her that we'd gone to a book event at waterstones which wasn't true anyway so we came back and Evelyn said uh darling mum needs a word and so we went into the city room which is kind of we'd never do in the day she goes what is it and she went well we didn't go to waterstones we actually went to the clinic and mama's got a bit of news and she looks at me and she goes oh my god you're not pregnant are you <laughs> i was like uh, no darling no i'm not so we were kind of like really laughing and then i had to sort of say uh no it's actually quite uh, a lot more serious than that so yeah there was kind of really funny moments in it that sort of broke the ice but it, all of those things are very difficult so it was, and it was putting all those moments in it of kind of the human moments that were really yes. important to me to just to just really kind of nail those kind of those bits that are have resonance with her friends and you know and I wanted this book to really be a book about friendships about old friendships new friendships friendships that you make you know in a very short space of time with people that you might never see again um but it's about how your friends kind of really see you through mm. and there's an intensity to the friendships that kira makes with her ladies with her cancer ladies running club Let, t- tell us very yeah. quickly about those guys who she meets they're so good uh well she first of all she meets uh tamsin who is in an elder goth it's a bit of an anom- anomaly can't say that word but uh she she meets she's she meets her um right at the beginning of the book and she's gone to the clinic for a second checkup and they've said they're going to do some tests and she's really freaked out and she goes over the road to the park with a coffee and she's sitting on a bench going oh it's terrible and this runner comes up and is sort of short for breath and she realizes she thinks someone oh, is this woman having a cardiac arrest and she meets this really feisty amazing woman called Tamsin who is covered into twos and she's kind of quite old and quite feisty but she's a runner and she persuades Kira into running with her and then along the way other people join the group and they meet this kind of group and together they kind of form this kind of tribe because actually you know when anything bad happens to you in any kind of in any situation it's really important that you find your tribe and what what she learns is that they stop instead of everybody being so serious around cancer they are able to laugh about it they're able to kind of have this gallows humor that really kind of spurs her on Mm. and so uh they form this amazing bond and friendship and it's just and they kind of really support each other through what they're going through 
Yeah, there's a moment very, I mean, it's quite early on where she finds herself on the phone to one of her cancer ladies and she finds she's only known her for three days and she's already sharing intimate things and connected to her in a stronger way than she is with any of her other friends because she's in this new tribe now. Yeah. It just, it just makes you, makes you realise how other people in your life is just the most important thing. Whatever you're going through, as you've just been saying, you've got to have the right other people with you. Yeah. And you've got to have people that are doing the same, you know, who understand and are going through the same thing. And I, you know, in my own personal experience, I, I mean, I did join a running group um, and I've always been a bit of a runner, but, you know, I, I wasn't really, my first instinct was not to get fit when I had, when I was diagnosed with cancer. My first instinct was to lie under the duvet with a you know, packet of chocolate digestives. I was like, I'm not not getting out there. Thank you very much. And I met this woman, Roz, a mum at the school gates, and she's a fitness instructor. She said, come and join my group of women down the seafront. And I was like, no, Roz, no. She said, come on, it'd be good for you. And I met a group of girls who um, were the inspiration for the Cancer Ladies Running Club in the the, um, book. And we had this amazing camaraderie immediately. And, you know, they're still really good friends of mine. And we ran together. Um, and it was just so helpful. It's just, and as Kira finds it helpful, it's just so helpful to have people who understand and make it less serious somehow. Because yes, I, yes. I always think that humour is a really great way of getting anything through anything traumatic. Yes. If you haven't got levity, then what's the point? You need it at all times, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And also you can take it far too seriously. Because I mean, there's, there's a lot of fear involved, obviously. But actually... Mm-hmm. Once you know facts and once you can see people that have gone through, you know, for, for Kira particularly, once she sees that some of people have gone through it and out the other side and they're, you know, skate, you know, they have been a little bit scathed, but they're fine. They, you know, they're still trucking. She she realised there's, there's great strength in that. Seeing it, somebody out the other side. You know, and, I, and it was very important to me that I wanted to write a book that was about that thing. It's not about survival. It's not about just surviving. It's about thriving, you know, about discovering that a midlife shakeup is no bad thing, that you can live your life in a, in a very different and joyful way. And actually, there's no reason that even, you know, we've got amazing treatments for cancer in this country. And actually, there's no reason why if you are caught in time and you go through the treatment, you're lucky enough, like I have been, like Kira has, to survive. There's no reason why you can't you know, live your best life the other side, you know? Mm. And there's no reason why it can't even maybe improve your life on the other side. That's the thing which I found so amazing about Kira, the way she is almost grateful, obviously grateful to survive, but almost almost grateful for the experience in itself. Yeah, and I think it makes her stronger and she Mm. finds a power that she didn't know that she had to stand up for herself and um, and to really kind of notice what's going on around her. And she's been kind of coasting along. She's a quite a happy-go-lucky kind of person. And she's been coasting along in her career. And she thinks everything's kind of very... She's a real people-pleaser, Kira. She just doesn't really want to cause any ructions. She doesn't want to rock the boat. And actually, she learns that she really does have to stand up for herself. And it's through going... It's through really facing a challenge head-on that she kind of learns to really connect with her core and her strength. And... Do you think, Josie, that that this experience that you've had um, going through cancer yourself and and writing this book, has it changed you as uh, as a person? Has it changed you as a writer now going forward for your next projects? Um, 
Well, it's kind of interesting because I've sort of changed tack into writing more contemporary fiction again. Um, I've been writing as Joanna Reese, um, as well as Josie Lloyd, but I write as Joanna Reese and I write for I write kind of big sweeping kind of historical epics, which I really enjoy. Uh, yes. So it's quite a change for me to write contemporary fiction and I'm writing a new book now which is all about sea swimming because I live down in Brighton and I swam all through this year through the lockdown and all all year round um, uh, and so I'm writing about a, a plucky group of sea swimmers so it's kind of similar to the cancellated club but it's that's quite fun and it's and it's nice drawing on my life experience to write I've yes, yes. it is it has been fun to kind of do that whole thing of doing proper life observations because as soon as you write something that's very true mm. um you it it brings a real resonance to the kind of fiction you kind of really can feel that people respond to that as well I so mean, i is, like that i like doing that the gold that we're all sifting for i did stand up comedy for 15 years and i mm. you know whenever you get those moments on stage where the audience go yeah that is true you're like hallelujah it's like being electrocuted <laughs> yeah. yes yeah isn't it, it. yeah yeah, it's perfect. You know, that's the thing. That's what you're striving for is that kind of recognition and resonance that is just, and you're writing something that is true. Um, mm. It's not necessarily something that's happened to you, but if you can write it in such a way that uh, it really feels that it's totally believable, then you are you really keep your reader with you. And I, yes. I, I love reading books like that myself. So that's the kind of mecca, isn't it? That's the goal we're aiming Absolutely. for but yes and i but also i the thing is tom i'm just really grateful to still be writing because it's the more you do it the better you become but also mm. the more you learn as you go along um yes. and i think that it there's a lot to be said for the the experience of that of just knowing that you will improve and that each time you're kind of going oh yeah i could do that in that way and I'm learning all the time on the job and I've, I'm always fascinated by it. I love writing. I mean, I really, I, it's the thing I love most. It, it, you can tell. You can, I mean, that sounds mad, doesn't it, to say that some writers, you can tell they don't maybe, but with you, it, it leaps off the page. The fun that you're having, it's just so apparent. And even with the, the darkest topics and the darkest moments, uh, there is such a joy about life and about the act of writing in this book. And you are going to take all these readers on such a fantastic journey. The Cancer Ladies Running Club uh, by the fabulous Josie Lloyd is out now. Josie, thank you so much for joining me on the Magic Book Club podcast. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been delightful to talk to you. So joining us now on the show is a star of our screens and increasingly now our bookshelves. It is the fantastic Fern Britton. Fern, hello. Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, thank you for inviting me, Tom. It's thrilling. Of course. Of course. You're very welcome. I mean, you're, you're six books in. We should have invited you ages ago. It's rude that we've only just got round to you, frankly. Uh, Tom, it's nine novels now. Oh, sorry. Oh, my word. No, that's all oh, right. my word. <laughs> You are you're a, a veteran novelist, um, and uh, it's it's you know fantastic to see you back writing again about your beloved Cornwall. Um, how first of all have you found writing during lockdown? Have you been getting stuck in? Has that worked well for you? Well, uh, Daughters of Cornwall, the, the book that's out at the moment, uh, I wrote last year, and mm. it was a tough old year because my mother died and my father died and. My marriage broke up and suddenly I was in Cornwall in lockdown. And I actually, it was very hard emotionally to sit down and concentrate on anything for a long, long time. And I was doing it in sort of just very bits and spots here and there. And my lovely editor, um, 
I didn't really understand until I met her exactly what editors do. And she <sighs> held my hand over Wi-Fi, obviously, and encouraged me and let me have as much time as I needed. And I delivered incredibly late and she got it all sorts of stuff. And it became, um, it was my first number one. So I'm thrilled with it. Um, so it was a difficult time, but I'm, you know, I don't know. Work is sometimes a salvation, isn't it? Yes. Did you find yourself, did you find yourself, I mean, A, sort of hiding away in the process of writing, but did you, did you put your characters into, into the emotions that you were going through during that year? And did you find some sort of, some sort of rescue in that? There was, yes. I think writing about other people and, and they're not, you haven't named them as anyone in your own family or in your own life. And then you read it back later and think, oh, Yes, actually, I put everything that I was feeling or whatever into that one. And the thing about Daughters of Cornwall is actually it's a, it's based very loosely on the story of my grandmother, who in the First World War, uh, when she was only about 18, had a little boy, uh, unmarried. And um, we didn't know about him until he contacted me back in the 80s because he'd seen me on television down here in the southwest. Yeah. And he was on holiday. And... Uh, he wrote to me saying, are you the daughter of Ruth Britton, Tony Britton? And I said, oh, yes. Do you know them? It's all no emails, of course. It's all letters. Yeah. And he wrote back going, well, actually, it's might be a shock, but I think I'm your mother's brother and I'm your uncle. Wow. Yes. Word. And um, when my grandmother died back in the 60s, she did say as she was dying, she said to my mother, I've been a wicked woman. Which, of course, she hadn't. She was a goddess to us all. But then when yeah. I had to tell my mother over a Sunday lunch once, as we were washing up, I, put, I was thinking, when can I pick the right time? So I had this letter from this guy who yeah. had then, uh, after I'd spoke to him, he sent me a lot, of, uh, a lot of proof, photographs of him as a little boy with my grandmother back in the 1920s. So when, and, how did they become separated? Where did he go? Well, uh, she had to give him to a couple in a kind of private adoption, I, I would suggest, um, because she by then had, I think, met my grandfather. Right. And she married him and she couldn't tell him, obviously, that she had mm. a son somewhere. And, and interestingly, the son, um, this uncle, who again is no longer with us, sadly, but he um, could well have been the son of my grandmother's first love, who happened to be the older brother of my actual grandson. Uh, grandfather, grandson, grandfather. Yeah, it's right. very complicated. But anyway, wow. I've put all that into the novel. And so it's very, the first half or third of it is uh, First World War and all of that that she had to do. Yeah. And then the second half is how my, uh, the character is loosely based on my mother, um, and how she coped with her mum and all of these tricky things that she didn't know about either. So, yeah, it's it was a labour of love. And I wanted to um, somehow give my grandmother recognition of how brave she had been and how difficult a decision it must have been for her. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. Unbelievable. It must. That sounds like it's really stuck with you, this idea of her saying, I've been a wicked woman. How awful that she felt like that. I know. Uh, terrible that she'd had to keep that secret for so long. And she did have contact with that little boy for quite a while and would send letters. I saw the letters that she wrote to the foster parents. Oh. How is he? How's he yes. going? I've enclosed three pounds for him. You know, that sort of thing. 
Mm. Yeah. Mm. So and she was such so a glamorous moving. woman. Yeah. Oh, really? She, she had bright oh, really? Red lipstick. Mm, bright red lipstick, <laughs> a cigarette always hanging out the corner of her mouth. She was very artistic, creative. Uh, she was always knitting something or making a teddy for me or, or uh, running up a dress or, you know, she was brilliant. And she ran boarding houses and was very brave. She was all on her own because she left her, her husband, my grandfather. They had gone to uh, Malaysia in Penang uh, where mm. they were rubber planters. And yes, of course. And this features in the book, of course. Yes, it does. Yeah. So it's an yeah. awful lot of reality in the book. Right, right. And did you feel a sense of not closure, but healing? And is, is there a sense of when you when you take your life and we've, you know, we've, we've talked to people like Nina Stibby on this book, and she writes a lot yeah. about her own personal experiences. And there's something in kind of mm. in fictionalizing them that is, is almost curative, but it just it puts them it puts them somewhere, it puts a bow on them somehow. You know, you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought of that, but it has kind of what was somehow a secret and we wouldn't talk about it. My mother wouldn't talk about it much. And, you know, all of that It's now. Yes, it's out there. It's for public view. And I don't think anyone who's going to read the book is going to judge my grandmother. Not for a second. This happens to women. And it's always um, And believe me, I'm not a man. I like men. But, you know, it's always the men who manage to walk away. Yes, of course. Or actually, in this case, he didn't. He might well have been killed uh, during World War One. And I I have actually gone to visit the grave of that great uncle, who might have been her boyfriend before she married my grandfather. Um, I've gone to his grave in France. Wow. In the book, the way what happens to him is exactly the way it happens to my great uncle. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's incredible. Did lots of research. I know. And how, how was that feeling then going over, going over to France? I mean, first of all, congratulations on manage, managing to get a nice trip to France and deduct that off the tax. Well, I Super did it as a parent well helper. I was, a, ah. I was a parent helper. <laughs> it was a history tour um, about, oh, maybe 10 years ago now. And the history teacher said, would you like to be a parent helper on the tour? And I went, oh, yeah. And I told him about the grave and he found it for us and took us there. And so my boys could stand by his grave and I could say to all his friends who'd come on the trip you know the blood of Jack and Harry is in this soil here. Gosh that's so moving that's so moving and you know you say that the blood is in this soil here but the the blood and the veins in your books is very much in Cornwall there's such a strong sense of place uh, in all your writing and we love everyone loves Cornwall fun I know you know this but we love Cornwall and we love you know diving into your books especially when they become historical like this there's such a pure escapism but do you as the person kind of in the cockpit here do you also feel that escapism or are you too busy calculating? I don't think I calculate anything, you know, not that bright. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, I've just come home from Yorkshire where I've been uh, filming and now there's a little bit of aeroplane activity. And so this morning I caught a flight from Leeds Bradford Airport, which, by the way, is a silent airport. They don't have any calls for the flights, which confused me anyway. Oh, really? um, and we flew into Newquay Airport and as soon as we got out of the clouds and I could see the coast of Cornwall. I was as excited as I, I as ever I could be. Huh. I don't know why I wasn't born Cornish. I should have been. There's something in my blood here. And I feel so, so at home here. And I can breathe here. And I feel secure here. It's a strange one, but I'm absolutely dedicated to, to, to this county. 
Mm, yeah it's a wonderful place it is a magical magical place uh, and this book is a, is a magical thing so we've got the stories then as you've been alluding to uh, based uh, on a lot of your family history there's there's clara back in 1918 1947 we've got hannah uh, and then we've got yes. caroline in in 2020 um yeah. how how did you how did you begin to to plan out their stories i mean obviously you've got a lot of facts to use but mm. you've still got to make those into neat stories haven't you Yes. Well, and the facts were very thin on the ground because my grandmother changed or didn't put any information into her little boy's um, birth certificate. So he okay. had trouble all his life looking for it. So I could only, um, having known just the bare facts, I had to really build a story around them. And I do always write um, a list of chapters and I, right. I go through that with my editor, just, and she might change the timeline. And sometimes, you know, you flick between now and then. Um, so I know where I'm going. I have a forty-chapter route map. I've got one in front mm. of me now. The book, book that I'm writing now. Um, oh, okay, book ten. I, book ten. Book. Thank you. Bless your heart. <laughs> um, and <laughs> but I find that very, very much easier than just a lot. Some writers, you know, they just sit at the computer and start writing. And I have yeah. to know where I'm going. I have to. Um, so I have a little roadmap, which really helps because then when you go off piste, which sometimes you do, uh, it yeah. brings you back again. You think, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and then the best piece of advice I ever had was once you've written the first sentence, don't go back or you end up writing the first sentence constantly. Everybody wants to write the, the most memorable first sentence. And I don't know yes. about you, but the one that most springs to mind is Last Night I Dreamt I Went to Mandalay before yeah. Rebecca. Um, yeah. But, you know, you, not if it happens, that's great, but it's not going to be worked on for, for months on end. You've got to get on with it. So then I, um, I try to write 15, I used to write 2,000 words a day, but I'm not quite so good at that anymore. So I'm doing about 1,500 words a day. Yeah. And in as long as it takes, I had just the only thing I have to hit is not four o'clock, but fifteen hundred words, and right. um, and then I close the computer. Don't write by longhand; my handwriting is terrible. Um, <laughs> and then the next day, I open it up and I review that, change mm. it. Sometimes mm. think, "Blimey, did I write that? That's pretty good." <laughs> I love that moment. That's such a it's always the surprise. Oh my god, I'm quite good isn't at this. It? <laughs> yeah, it's so lovely, and you think have those. You know, the, the um, shoemaker's elves who make the shoes while he's asleep. <laughs> I think, ah, I've got something up doing this at night. And then review it and then crack on with the next chapter. You know. mm, mm, mm. Can I just say, in terms of opening sentences, you got me, you've, you've sparked a thing now. Because we do, you're right, we always we always remember the opening sentence. Well, see, I, here's a little spot quiz for you. This is a bit unfair to put you on the spot. Oh, no, the, okay. Remember, uh, my brains are off. Okay, well, fine. Let's just let's. I'll give it. Away. It's Lord of the Flies by William Golding, right? Which I studied yeah. at school. This was the first book I properly fell in love with. Opening sentence: The boy with the fair hair lowered himself down the last few feet of rock and began to pick his way towards the lagoon. Oh, yes. I'm in. I'm in. For, yes, I'm in. <laughs> That's exactly. All I need. That's all I need. Exactly. You're right. Um, and the other yeah. one was um, oh one of um, Shirley Conran's books. I can't remember which one it's called. It might be Lace, I think, which is a big book in the 80s. And her yeah. first line is, which one of you bitches is my mother? <laughs> <laughs> which is genius, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that next time I go and visit my mum. That's amazing. <laughs> 
kick the door into the bungalow. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's it's it. very important. It's very important. And so listen, when you've got all these different places, I mean, obviously Cornwall is in its blood, but it jumps jumps around the place in terms of time as well. Uh, Daughters of Cornwall, yeah. the brand new book. Do you have, when you're writing this book, are you like, oh, it's Hannah. Hannah's kind of my favourite. Do you have a favourite one are you, which you lean into a bit more? Oh, it's interesting you should like Hannah. Or, did you, are you saying you like Hannah or asking yes. me if I do? Yes, I did. You know, I did. Maybe oh, it's because I quite like the era. I like that. I like the sort of 1940s stuff anyway. So she had a head yes. start there. Oh, good, good. Well, I am. Well, you see, it's difficult because I'm actually writing about someone who in my head was my mother. And she was in the ATS and she was on heavy ACAC. And she did have quite a good time when she was in the camps, um, you know, where you have to go and live, the barracks. Yeah. Uh, and she did have a great friend and who ended up being my godmother. Um, and so all of that I felt very close to. Um, and she, yeah, she's a bit sparky, isn't she? And she looks good too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are, you suggesting, are you suggesting I'm being a typical man here? No, not at all. Very, she's very beautiful. I like her. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't mean that. But what I mean is I like to look and think of my mother as, uh, as that sparky woman. In fact, I, in my office here, I'm sitting now, um, she's... A, fantastic picture of her sitting in Cornwall um, mm. on a rock in a lovely 1950s summer dress and her hair pulled back in a little dark bun and fantastic. you know she's my inspiration yeah I just I think there's something about that idea of uh, women especially in the 1950s or even after the first world war when you know we go into the 1920s the the roaring 20s or indeed the the kind of austere 50s just the idea that all these women doing the house rearing have suddenly got this hinterland they suddenly got this history of the things they did during the war and i just find that fascinating and it must yes. have it must have blown all of the social norms apart and i think that's just wonderful and fascinating yes. and those and people at the heart that, of it are brilliant absolutely and i don't think if that was the first time that happened through history women have no. very often picked up the pieces or gone in bravely into all sorts of situations but somehow have been um maybe just pushed out of history. I'm, I'm very interested in, in um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, just to think about that woman. Oh, yeah. And we know so little about her. But what's a woman? What's a woman? Yes. You're a young teenager. You find yourself pregnant. There's an angel coming. You marry an older bloke who says, oh, okay, then. And then you have this son who yeah. everyone's trying to kill. And then you, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you go. And then, and then, you know, having had a sort of quiet childhood, he suddenly leaves. Perhaps the perhaps people around have been thinking, he's a bit strange, that one. he's a bit odd. And suddenly he says, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. I'm going off because I've got things to do and things I need to tell people and I've got a message. And then he dies. I mean, what yeah. did that mother go through? Yeah, I know. I, I like can't that. imagine. You know? Yeah, yeah, oh. absolutely. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's assuming, exactly of course, yes. Yeah, you, do you know the story I, I mean? It, Poor woman. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um so, I mean, talk that that's that's history there. That's quite deep history. Is, is it the beginning for you then of more historical fiction that we're going to see in the future? Are you going to come crushing into the present next? What what is next, please? That's what I'm kind of that's what I'm angling for. Fun. What's going on now? What's being typed <laughs> right now on the computer? Yeah. Right. What's typed right now is a book I'm writing. Um, I'm not going to tell you too much about it just yet because it, mm-hmm. I'm still only a third of the way through. But it is a true story, and it's around the royal family between the 30s and the 50s and a character I've, I've picked two real life characters who I know did meet 
but I'm writing them as friends and connected very deeply. And one of them succeeds and the other one fails. And I've done so much research. I've read about 14 books on on what's happening in the monarchy and politics at that time. And um, I'm very excited about it. Very excited. I had a lovely note. I mean, you know, the publishers are very good. But to be in the world of publishing is very nice. Mm. Uh, They're very nice people. But uh, I had a note saying... um, Different. I've just read the stuff you've sent us, and I'm very disappointed. Dot dot dot. But there isn't more. Think, oh, 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 that's good. My heart dropped, you know. And I, oh. I mean, imagine if that was on paper and it was disappointed at the bottom of the paper. That oh, yes. that turning of the paper, the cruelty. Yes, the cruelty. yes, yes. Well, but I'm, it just yeah. cheered me up, you know, because I, I, uh, I, I trust her judgment, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, of course. And as you sit there in your office, what is what is the view like? I'm, I'm imagining you now in a sort of Heathcliffian style, looking out onto moorland in Cornwall, maybe some sea. What, what, what are we seeing, please? Okay. Well, I actually live about two miles from the sea. That's lovely. And on a windy day, you can hear the sea. Or at a quiet night, you can hear the sea. It's great. Um, but I can't see the sea. I'm, I'm in a tiny village on North Cornwall coast, so there's lots of surfing. And mm. The village is so small that we're all built in a little huddle. And my house is huddled with lots of buildings around it. So anybody could build anything. And I'm not going to go, oh, you've ruined the view for me. Because actually, I can't see much anyway. So from this window, I am looking through French windows into my conservatory. And then mm-hmm. outside is a wall covered in lovely pink Montana clematis. And the lovely. sun is shining. Oh. And... I've got a little table full of uh, plants all growing up in the corner on the left. And I have a big apple tree, which is covered in blossom on my right. Fantastic. So oh, oh, it's evocative. I can, do you know, this might sound weird, but I can almost, I can almost smell your, your living room with all those, all those plants <laughs> mentioned. I can, I can almost smell it. Fern Britton, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for for joining me on the magic book club podcast um daughters of cornwall is out now it is a fantastic read you're going to love it i think so many people are going to be escaping into this world over the summer i think it's going to do so well and uh well congratulations on it Fern. oh tom thank you and forgive my meanderings but uh yeah i've loved it thank you oh fern britain i could listen to her meander all day wonderful stuff and that's it for the magic book club podcast to join me next time for brilliant stories from fantastic authors don't forget head over to magic.co.uk to see the rest of our may picks and join the club for yourself in the meantime happy reading